My boyfriend and I recently decided that we wanted to take the new tent we bought on its first trip. The tent was one that hooks up to your car to provide more storage space, and we were excited to try it out. We had even planned a kayaking trip the next day as well. It was supposed to be a nice, inexpensive, outdoorsy weekend getaway. We tend to book things last minute, so all the state parks and professional campgrounds were full. This led us to a website that is essentially an Airbnb for campsite. The place we chose was a 100-acre property just 20 minutes south of the kayak shop. Of all the sites in the area, it was described as having working bathrooms, showers, and it allowed for campfires with all the sites being accessible for cars. This site was also the most reviewed in the area with three five out of five star reviews. The area was very rural, so we did not think much about the low number of reviews for any of the campsites. The renter was Mary, who only ever texted us updates, but seemed sweet. We started out the two hour drive a bit later than anticipated, which put us behind the 11 a.m. time we had originally informed the host, but we tried to keep her updated with the new schedule. She just told us to let her know when we arrive at the address she sent us. When we arrive at the address, we agreed by a barn from the pictures. It had string lights all over it, seemed fairly new, and just gave a nice feel to it. We sit in the car for the next minute and struggle with cell service to text the host and let her know we have arrived. Ten minutes after our text sends, a sweaty man who appears to be in his 60s pulls up on an ATV. He lets us know that he is the father-in-law to Mary, and she's busy taking care of a seasonal harvest and sent him instead. He lets us know we can take the car anywhere on the property and offers to show us around on the ATV. My boyfriend, who's visibly uncomfortable, declines the offer and asks a few more questions about the woods and how far into them we are allowed to take the car. Anywhere. There are no designated campsites. We can go anywhere and the ATV man even offers to pull my car out if it gets stuck. We ask one final question about cell service and he jokes that if we were from around here, we would understand that reception works better on one side of the barn than on the other. I am from around here and thought it was funny. But once he said that, I realized he didn't have an ounce of an accent for here like he should. Eventually, he leaves and we begin exploring the property on foot. The barn is nice and maintained. It was fully lit in the middle of the day with the string lights decorating the interior too. It's insulated and has a working kitchen. The only warning we got was to not drink the water. It seemed like a place that would host small 50 guest weddings. We walked past a shed up behind the barn to get to the trails that ran through the woods. After going through a hike that my car would have never survived, we decided it might be best to just camp by a small creek and we chose a spot on the side opposite the barn. We were still within walking distance, but we used my car as a buffer to feel a bit more isolated. We choose our spot and then go into the main town to eat and walk around. We message Mary about the fire policy, and she tells us that they will deliver a fire ring to the barn for us to take to camp. We arrive back at the barn about an hour and a half from nighttime. We drive by the barn and the lights have been turned off. We assumed it was on a timer as to not waste energy or money. We also noticed the fire ring had not yet been delivered. We start the grueling 30-minute setup in the sticky heat and reward ourselves with a nice sit in an air-conditioned car. We notice it looks like it's about to rain, so my boyfriend and I pull out a card game and wait for it to pass in the car. It only lasted about 10 minutes, but the sun is starting to set. The tent held up nicely, so we felt okay leaving it for a second. Needing to use the bathroom, we start walking to the barn. As we cross the creek, we hear what sounds to be like someone in the shed moving things around. A bit unsettling, but I tell my boyfriend that maybe they used equipment today and it's just sitting in there making the cracking cool-off noises that it sometimes does. We get to the barn and the lights are still off, but the fire ring is there. We go in and check just to make sure the power is off, and it is not just the lights outside. None of the light switches will work, so we assume the power is cut. Again, maybe it's just on a timer. No worries. We step out of the barn and get 10 feet away, and we hear a hum in the distance to the opposite side of the shed. The power to the barn is restored. We change direction to go use the bathroom, but as soon as we step inside, the power cuts again. 
I start to get a weird feeling and I can tell he has it too. I look to my boyfriend and say, maybe they're just watching us. I immediately follow it up with, no, that's a lot worse. We walk back outside and the lights turn on. My boyfriend says that we need to leave and I have the same gut-wrenching primal fear. We put the ring back by the barn since we had moved it about 10 feet and the barn lights start flickering. We briskly walk back to the car. Being from Appalachia, I know better than to run. The 30-minute setup was torn down in about five minutes and we jump in the car and lock it. I managed to get my car going, thanking God that the rain did not get my car stuck. We start toward the driveway, and just as we made it to the road, my boyfriend looks back and sees a man standing by the shed, watching us. As soon as my car pulls off onto the road, we get a text from Mary letting us know that the fire ring is out by the barn. She also informs us that we are welcome to stay in the barn if the rain had messed up our camping experience. We arrive at a nice hotel, willing to splurge for the safety. At this point, it's 10 p.m. A sweet older lady checks us in, desperate for validation and just comfort from anyone. We tell her what we had just experienced at the campsite. She looks shocked and asks if we had seen the news lately, which we both respond that we had not. The lady tells us that couples in the state had been going missing. All of them had gone camping. Three couples were truly missing, and one was recently found on the side of the freeway slashed near to death. They are still recovering in the hospital. We couldn't find many articles about where in the state, but the look on the lady's face suggested it was near us. By the time we got to our room, and nearly in tears at this point, we look at our phones and see a single text message from Mary saying, Thank you for staying with us. This took place when I was about 16. My aunt was in town visiting and we were coming back from the grocery store. We were driving back to my mom's house, my parents are divorced just so you know, and she lived way out in the country, like it's a 10 minute drive from anywhere. We pull up our driveway and a red car pulls in behind us. My aunt and I stay in the car and the man approaches the driver's side door. Can't rightly tell you why he looked like a creep, but he looked like a creep. Very pasty skin, eyes that were staring too hard, just overall weird. He claims he's lost and looking for a way to a fitness center in the town next over. The exact fitness center that is about a minute away from where the grocery store is. Super odd, but I give him directions. He thanks me, but continues to stare at me. He asks if we know each other and I reply no. He gives me his name and I again repeat no, I do not. A couple seconds of awkward staring and he asks what my name is. Well, being an idiot and feeling anxious, I tell him that was a mistake. He confirms we don't know each other and heads back to his car and we watch him leave. My aunt and I agree he was very strange, but shake it off and take the the groceries in. From where we parked, you have to take a long, windy path up behind the house to the back door. My aunt goes outside to grab the rest of the groceries, and I settle on the couch in the living room and look outside. Red car in the driveway. My aunt comes upstairs and said the guy was almost to our door and claimed he forgot the directions. My aunt curtly told him, right, left, right, and then told him to leave. The directions were truly that simple when following the main roads. I'm freaked, she's freaked, but we never see him again. A month passes and I'm chilling at my dad's and posted something like, I'm bored at my dad's house who wants to chill on Facebook. Guys, always set your page to private. Several minutes later, I get a message from the same guy asking if I wanted him to come over. I'm home alone and understandably terrified. I immediately block him and tell my dad, who goes to one of his cop friends to see if they know anything about the guy. Well, this man was kicked out of a local university for stalking and had two other counts of stalking on top of that and a restraining order. Another month goes by and I'm in study hall with a friend and he is telling me about this guy who was stalking his older sister. I don't remember the specific details, but it was definitely the story of someone being stalked. The craziest part was this stalker almost drove this girl's brother off the road in an attempt to get him to pull over. Once pulled over, stalker jumped out and was making his way to my friend's vehicle when my friend noped right out of there. I'm sure you guessed it, but the stalker and the creep I ran into were the same person. To add to the creep factor of this all, fast forward six months and apparently he was arrested for attempting to kidnap 
kidnap three different women within an hour, failing on all attempts and almost running over the last woman's father who was with her at the time. Confirmed it via news article, and I'm still pretty floored by it all. I'm a 21-year-old female, and I drive from Miami, Florida to Daytona Beach nearly every other week. I make sure to fuel up before I start off, but this one particular day, I didn't. I left Daytona around midnight, driving back to Miami. I drive a black Mustang 40th anniversary. I was literally flooring it back home through I-95. The entire route was empty, other than a few trucks and small cars here and there. I was jamming to some good music, not paying much attention to what was going on with my fuel tank. Around 2.30, 2.45 a.m., the low fuel warning came up. I saw it and started looking for the nearest exit, which happened to be Boynton Beach. I have never been there and had no idea about how the area is. I took the exit and saw that there was a Circle K right off the exit. I was a little relieved because now I at least wouldn't run out of fuel in the middle of nowhere. Now with barely any fuel left in my car, I pull up to the gas station. It's totally empty, I can't even see a single car inside or even outside on the road. There were no people other than one tall man in a red colored jacket walking around near the side of the gas station where all the parking spots are but he was not very close to the pump I was at. I was a little scared, but I usually try to shake my fear off by telling myself that it's nothing. Although I'm glad that I listened to that little voice inside me this time. This man at this point is looking at the ground, but kind of walking in the general direction of my car. I'm still inside the car contemplating whether I should get out or stay in. Usually I would have just gotten out and fueled, not being scared. But that day, something in my gut told me to lock the door and wait inside until he either goes away or walks past my car. At this point, the guy is just a few feet away from my car, still not looking at me. I'm trying to tell myself, it's okay, he doesn't even care that I'm here, I should get out. But then, my worst fear comes to life. This man looks up straight at me and dashes towards the driver's side door and tries to open it. At this point, it's around 3 a.m. with no other people in the general vicinity. I literally froze for a second and thought, I'm gonna die. He pulled on the door handle several times trying to get it open, but then I somehow got my senses back, turned the car on, and floored it. He didn't let go of the door handle until I started the car and hit the gas pedal. I'm so thankful that despite the low fuel, my car still started up and drove off. I literally had nothing on me to defend myself other than the plastic fork I got from Panda Express earlier that day. I still can't get over the whole experience, and it gives me chills even typing it out tonight. I have no idea what came of creepy gas station man in a red jacket, or if he tried this with anybody else, but I encourage everybody to be aware of their surroundings and not wait until 3 in the morning to fill up their gas tank.